We at Refuge Ministries are so blessed by the success of Refuge Freedom Stories and podcasts. In addition, we focus on youth prison ministry, release kits, and many other diverse outreaches to the needs of our community. As a nonprofit, there are many costs involved, however, and we are asking for your support. Financial gifts can be made via our website at www.refugeministriescanada.com or by calling 519-701-0108. Your giving makes this work possible, and we thank you in advance for your support. God bless you. by the power of God. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Refuge Freedom Stories. I'm your guest host, Johnny T. And my guest tonight is Sean McKenzie. Sean runs Second Chances Ministry that focuses on being a connecting point for those who have been incarcerated as adults. How are you doing tonight, Sean? I'm doing well, Johnny. Thanks very much for uh, having me on the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. So tell me about your life. Well, I'd like to say it was th- that nice, easy road, but most people's life has road bumps. I had plenty of them. I always tell people when I'm di- giving my testimony, I start by shocking them by telling them I'm the youngest of 11 children. And when they have <laughs> a moment to comprehend what that means, I usually say I had a great growing up, but I just didn't realize how dysfunctional it was at times yeah. <laughs> be- because uh, of just different things that happened in the family situation. Being the youngest of 11, I was pretty spoiled by my older siblings and I kind of got things my own way for a good majority of my life. And Mm -hmm. then just a number of things. I was diagnosed in my late 20s, early 30s with clinical depression, but the doctor at the time said, you probably suffered with this for most of your life. And when I look back, I realized, especially shortly after my dad died, I was Mm -hmm. 14, about to turn 15. The depression really, I I didn't have the word for it, but it was depression had sunk in. And it, it really took me for a turn. For many people who are listening, probably know it. It took me down a turn of alcohol and alcohol use, which further became alcohol abuse as I grew up. It was that way to numb the pain without really thinking through what the consequences may be. You obviously had a healthy relationship with your dad and loved him very much to be hit that hard with depression. Exactly. I really feel blessed, Johnny. My dad wasn't a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination. He had his love for the drink as well. He had his faults, he had his failings, but he was the first superhero to me. Uh, in my eyes, dad could do no wrong. And I love spending time with him and hearing the stories. I nearly lost him when I was nine years old when he suffered his first stroke. Uh, so we didn't have a lot of time to do the father-son things. We didn't do a lot of trips or anything like that or going fishing or stuff like that. But I knew I was loved. And I know a lot of people who are listening to don't understand what that's like to have parents. I Because both of my mom and my dad since passed on, but they both give us something that a lot of folks don't get, which is love. And they give us the love the way they could give us love. Not a textbook idea of what love is, but I knew I was loved from both of them. And yeah, I was very close to my dad. And when he passed, it 
really did rock my world. And I lacked that male role model in my life at that point. So think of it, I'm 14 turning 15, no idea what it's like to become a man. I'm struggling to be a teenager at that time. And I think most people understand what the teenage years can do to us. I had no guide. It was a rough teenage years. And I don't imagine spending a lot of time on the inside of a bottle of alcohol gave you much guidance either. No, it didn't. All it did was drew me away from the love that I had. I, I had served up until that point almost every week. I grew up in the Catholic Church and I served as an altar boy. And I still remember when Father McGregor had kind of made a joke the first time I served as an altar boy, said, hey, one of these days, maybe he'll be leading you guys. I learned my reverence by going to church of who God was, but I felt disappointed and let down by God. And it wasn't until later in life that I realized God didn't leave me, but I left him and I left to pursue the alcohol. And then further down the road, I would turn my addiction vices to gambling and pornography, which neither mm. of them helped either with the clinical depression. Those are big plagues these days, you know, especially with people being locked indoors and shut out from social activities. And the enemy is always there to try and firstly pull us away from God and secondly, pull us into deep, dark areas that almost seem insurmountable. The other thing about it is that guilt and shame complex. One of the things that I saw in my mother's eyes was here was another one of her children succumbing to the bottle. Now, mm. I thought I was getting away with it and she didn't know that I was drinking on a regular basis, but she knew. Moms uh, know was, everything. Th they do. And there was <laughs> certainly many Saturday mornings, the pots and pans started clanging really early when I wanted to be doing nothing but get, getting more sleep and staying in bed because I was nursing, <laughs> not feeling so well. She'd yell out my name. Hey, there's wood that needs to be cut. And I drag myself out to the wood pile and start cutting wood or, or organizing the wood pile, whatever the case may be. It was her way of saying, okay, I know what you were doing. I'm trying to remind you that's not what you should be doing. That was her tough love with me. So somehow you managed to live your life and make ends meet and things like that, even though you were struggling with alcohol. How did your life move on from there? Well, I'm in my early 20s. I was working, how ironically, in radio. And mm -hmm. I'd be sober Monday to Friday. But then came the weekend and came payday. And then I'd be going out again to try to numb the pain. And the gnawing grew and grew inside of me because I knew I wasn't living the life that God wanted me to live. So I think it was 23, 24, I felt that calling to come back to church. So I lived in Sydney, Nova Scotia at the time. There was a Catholic church just across the street. So I had no excuse to not be able to go to church. And, you could see and God, it. <laughs> I could see it. I just had to look out. I, the parking lot was right across the street from me. So there was no excuse to not go. And God just through his Holy Spirit just kept I, I'd like you to come back. And then I'd go and I'd listen to the homily that the priest would give. I'd be going, how is he reading my mail? How does he know what's going yeah. on in my head? And now I look back and go, it was the Holy Spirit at work through, through this beautiful priest helping me to realize my life that I was on, the road that I was on was nothing but a dead end because it didn't have the true love that I needed and the true father figure I was seeking. And at the end of a bottle, there was nothing. Looking at pornography, there was nothing. And, and by my mid-20s, gambling, because of course I'm spending my money drinking, I don't have enough money to pay the bills a lot of times. And unfortunately for me, I won a little bit in gambling. So I thought this was a quick easy way all the time to make money and it just made life uh, a deeper darker hell time after time because i i was nowhere ready to be the man that god wanted me to be we talk to a lot of people as as i'm sure you do in uh, similar situations and things like that and it always amazes me 
that if you have a consciousness towards God, like you have a like a basic belief that God exists, it never leaves you. Even in the deepest, darkest places, somehow you know that God is still there. And somehow you just know that he's kind of got his hands in your life. Like you never really escape that sense of God's reality. No, ne- never. And the beautiful thing is when I share my testimony, I talk about this is I went back to church because I thought it would help my mom because she was just, my mom prayed every day for me. I I'm here today because I believe in the power of intercessory prayers. Mm Because when I couldn't pray for myself, my mom was praying for me. And she was asking God, grab hold of him. I know you want him. Grab hold of him. And that's the way I look at it. He was answering my mom's prayer. And as we know, God is great. He is a gentleman. He's not going to just grab us by the scruff of the neck and say, hey, do this. He gives us a choice. So there was a number of different key moments that came up in my life that he just kept knocking. So for me, I thought, okay, you know how I'll get rid of this addiction issue is I'll find a girl and, you know, she'll fix me and she'll take care of me and things will be great. And I did. I met a wonderful lady. She was my first wife. And we met actually when I was working in radio station in in Sydney. Uh, We both were reporters and we just happened to be out in an event. And that's, you know, in addiction and in life, we're always looking for that short, quick fix. So I thought the quick fix was let's find somebody and then we can make a life together. But it doesn't just work that way. You can't go in without 100% commitment and 100% honesty. So I did tell Mm -hmm. her that I did have a gambling issue, but I told her I was fixed. It wasn't a problem anymore, which was Mm -hmm. the furthest thing from the truth. Never really told her about the pornography issue. And I also suffered with intense low self-esteem. And so I always made choices and made decisions based on what would make my partner happy. Mm-hmm. It's not her fault. I don't want any of your listeners to hear that I'm blaming her for my misdeeds and my poor choices in life. It was me mm-hmm. who made the poor choices. And God kept telling me, we would go to church after we got married every Sunday and he in a different community. We're now in Halifax. And the priest, again, is reading my email, telling me all these stories. And I, and I, I heard a great story once from a good friend of mine. His name's A.J. Thomas. He was the, my lead pastor in Halifax. And he, he told a story about how people would come up to him Sunday after Sunday about how the message had touched them or, or something he had said during the message. And he'd be shaking his head going, I don't remember saying anything like that. But it's a matter of how the Holy Spirit gets us to tune in to what's being said. And that's what was happening to me. God hadn't left me. He hadn't forsaken me. I'd moved away from him, but he was still hot on my trail trying to help me understand that I could change. I could turn my life around, but I had to surrender at first. So how did that come about? Sadly, it came after my divorce because Mm. for me, a couple of years into our marriage, our son was born in 1997, and that's the year my life fell apart because the gambling that I thought I had under control overtook me. That desire to have and want and need more overtook me. I tell people it was greed, plain and simple. It was gambling that destroyed me, but at the end it was greed. And I succumbed to my gambling and I succumbed to temptation of taking money from the company I work for. September 97, so my son's only a couple months old. I know our life is just about to hit a huge, huge roadblock. I had every intention, of course, everyone has good intention, paying back to the company every dollar I had taken. Of course, in a gambling mindset, I thought I was going to win the money back and be able to put the money back, but that never happened. So with September of 97, I felt this is it. The jig is going to be up and my life as I know it's going to be over with. And so I knew we had a life insurance policy. And for the very first time in my life, thoughts of self-harm really took over. And there was a particular night I was just at my wits end. A car broke down again. I was doing a newspaper route to try to make ends meet. And it just wasn't working. 
the thoughts of self-harm were coming more and more and more. So I decided to take my then wife and son to see her parents in New Brunswick with the full intention of not being there when they came back. I hadn't formulated what the plan was going to be, but I, I intended to take my life and God certainly intervened because I believe through his spirit, he kept reminding me, I have a bigger plan. You just don't see it. And so late October, early November is when life came crashing down. That's when the company controller, the guy who controlled the money, called to ask about this account, and then another account, and then another account. And I knew the jig was up. I, I knew they had caught me. And so within a couple of months, I got a visit from the Halifax Police Department, a very nice detective. He came to my house. He saw I was taking care of my son and said, I think you know why I'm here. Can you please come to the office tomorrow? We have to have a conversation. So we had a conversation the next day and I was charged with theft, which I pled guilty to January 20th, 1999. And my life at that time, I thought was pretty much over. And then it got a, a little worse a month later after the conviction. My wife just had enough and she left and she took my son. Mm -hmm. And that's when that cliff came. So I had a great family doctor because I shared with him about the thoughts of self-harm I had before. And he said, if you deal with any of those again, please reach out to me and we'll get the right help for you. So mm -hmm. I did. I reached out to him in February 1999 and I did a self-check-in for 72 hours for a psychiatric consultation in, in Halifax. And I met a lot of great nurses and doctors that day and they were fantastic. But on all that paperwork I filled out, there was a box I checked off. It asked whether or not I was a Christian. That was the furthest thing from what I really was at the time, but I still checked the box because I still felt that pull towards God. I still believed in him. Right. And so what happened was they brought a chaplain in. He was a Baptist pastor in the community who served as a chaplain at the Nova Scotia Hospital. And he and I sat down in a room, very small room, by the way, and we were just having a conversation and he could hear the anger and angst and frustration in my voice as we're talking. And he asked me a question that helped turn my life around. He said, if God was in the room and he stopped and said, which he is in a nonviolent way, what would you say to him? And when he asked me what I would say to him, all the venom inside of me came out. I started blaming God for everything. I wasn't taking any of my responsibility yet. It was that initial release to get the pain out. The pain that I had masked with alcohol, with pornography, with sex, with everything else, the lying, the cheating, the stealing, all that pain came wallowing out of me. And that was an incredible moment for me. And then the next week when I got out of the hospital, because I grew up in the Catholic faith, I, I believe I, you know, should go and meet my parish priest. And he was a beautiful man, Father Lloyd O'Neill. He's long since passed. But he, he gave me the best piece of advice I could ever get. He said, Sean, I could listen to your confessions all day long, but if you don't have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, nothing else matters. And it was shortly after that conversation that I, I dedicated my heart to Jesus and said, I don't know what I'm doing, but I want to follow you because my life is a mess and I know I can't fix it. And it's been an interesting ride. And this was back in 2000, 2001, when I made that commitment to God. He has been there every step of the way. I have failed him many times and there hasn't been rainbows all the time, but it was the best decision I can say I ever made in my life was to surrender my heart to Christ. I think, you know, that's a bit of a struggle sometimes for people that think about God because they think they need to be perfect before they come to Jesus. But that's what Jesus is there for, to help us to overcome those things in our life that aren't of him. hundred percent. And at that point, I was still stuck in that mindset because I knew all the garbage I had done. I never actually started the process of working the 12 steps. I was attending a 12-step program, but I certainly wasn't working them at the time. I was trying to do everything I could to save my marriage. I wasn't actually trying to do anything for me, but it was when I surrendered to Christ, he kept giving me the moments of clarity. 
The sad thing is, yes, my wife had left. We got divorced. And the one thing that I wanted the most in my life was to be a dad. I had a great relationship, as I told you, with my dad. I prayed for the opportunity to become a dad myself. And the defining moment for me happened when I was home in Cape Breton. I was visiting my mom and my siblings, and she looked at me and said, Sean, I love you with all my heart, but I can't fix you. Only God can fix you, mm -hmm. and you can't stay here. See, I, I had made this plan in my head that I was going to go stay with mom and, and try to get my life back on track because I needed that safe comfort spot. And she said, no, you can't. And I can tell you I was mad that day. I never yeah. angry with my mom, but I was mad at her that day. So I took my son and we went down to a little brook on our property and he was just doing what he always does, throwing rocks in the water, being happy, go lucky. And I remember this just like it happened that day. As he's throwing the walk, rocks in the water, I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm confused. Why would my mom let me stay? I, I need to get my life turned around. And I, doesn't she know I just need a safe place to be? And it was then when the Holy Spirit got hold of me. And I just felt like if you've ever had that moment when you felt like somebody is just directing you, I actually felt like he turned my body to look directly at my son and say, you want to be a dad. I give you this. I give you this beautiful boy. Be the father that he needs. Don't turn away from him. And that was a, such a moment of clarity for me. At that point, I had no idea what I was going to do. Next thing I know, I'm in Moncton, New Brunswick. Yes, my ex-wife is in New Brunswick. And I wanted to be closer to my son. So I ended up getting on a bus, took him back to his mom, and I stayed in Moncton. And it was in Moncton where I finally said, this is it. I can't, I can't keep running anymore. And one morning I woke up and I heard a song on the radio from the Newsboys. It's called Shine. I don't know if anyone knows yeah. the song or not. No, I know that song. Yeah. Well, I misheard a lyric, Johnny, in that song. Mm. And it was a reminder to me. So my misheard lyric, it says Shine. And it goes on to say, wonder what you got? What I heard is I was on the outside looking in, not on the outside looking for it. That's the real lyric. Mm. I felt on the, still on the outside looking for it. And it was where, where God just said, just follow me. It's not that hard. Stop trying to be me and just start following. So surrendering your heart is the first thing. That, that was my first thing, which was great. That was a wonderful yep. experience. I had promised him because there was a song also at that time by Audio Adrenaline called Hands and Feet. And it mm -hmm. became my anthem because I, I kept telling the Lord, I will be your hands. I will you be your feet. I'll go where you send me. And at that time, I had I had no idea what it was, but it was into Christian radio. That's where he sent me at first to be around the music. So when I got into Christian radio, it, it has taken me from Moncton, New Brunswick to Miramichi to Fredericton. And the beautiful thing is it, it brought me back to Halifax because that's where my life fell apart. And what I met was a great church family. I met this great pastor. I mentioned his name earlier, A.J. Thomas, at Deepwater Church mm -hmm. in Halifax. And I shared my brokenness with them. They said, well, we're all broken. Some of us are brave enough to admit it. That's a line from Rick Warren, by the way. And I felt great. And I, I was finally able to start serving God at the church again. See, I moved to Halifax thinking I was going to be in Christian radio. Well, he had a different plan. He wanted me to learn what it's like to do ministry with people who are broken. So mm -hmm. in 2016, I started part of the launch team for Celebrate Recovery, which is a 12-step Christ-centered ministry that has certainly helped me and, and millions more around the world find true reconciliation with who they are in Christ and and get rid of their hurts, habits, and hangups. But the other thing it did is it woke in my heart because I met a priest in the city of Halifax. His name's Rob Elford. And he was working with men who had been convicted of sexualized crimes. It's a program called Circles of Support and Accountability. And he said, I need a place where my guys can come and feel safe and not be judged. And that's what we provided. We've provided through Celebrate Recovery 
that safe place where they could come and talk about the garbage in their lives. And what happened was that friendship developed. And then when the contract became available to work with the Halifax Community Chaplaincy Society, I got hired to be the assistant site coordinator. And so what I got to do over the last five plus years is work with men. When they're coming out, I would go visit them in prison or talk to them uh, with a chaplain on the phone and get to know them before they came to community. And the beautiful thing is 85% of men who have committed a sexualized crime, uh, this has been proven by statistics, will not reoffend if they have community support behind them. And so that's what that's Circles awesome. in Support and Accountability does. We come around, we wrap ourselves around people, we give them the love. They don't have to be a Christian to be part of the program. We just tell them, we're Christians, you're going to hear about God, but in no way, shape, or form are we telling you, you have to become a Christian. But the nice thing that I got to experience in the in the five plus years of doing this work in Halifax was an opportunity to see them come to faith in Jesus. And I got to baptize eight of these guys, which was such a thrill for me. And then as life would happen to have it, I was remarried when I was in Halifax. My beautiful bride wanted to come back to Ontario. And I said, <laughs> okay, no problem. There's broken people everywhere. One caveat, you got to get a job. And lo and behold, God had a job waiting for her in London, Ontario at a Christian school. And then when we were coming, I had taken some time off. I took a sabbatical and I was asking God what he would have me to do. And that's what led to me starting this ministry called Second Chances. You see, I believe in recovery. I believe not just sobriety, but I believe in recovery. And I believe in getting rid of the guilt and shame. So I started Second Chances to be just a connecting point for people. And then primarily the men and women I intend to work with will also be here in, in London. People who have committed crimes uh, because th they have felt they've been abandoned by society. I know there are other people who have been through the prison system, but there's something about that SO designation because a lot of people don't want to work with people who've committed a sexualized crime, whether they've been abused themselves, which I understand a lot have. I know what the stats say and the stats lie. There are more men and women who have been abused and suffered abuse. And so I understand the vitriol that comes at these, these, these men and women. But God has placed it in my heart, a, a desire to work with them and, and walk alongside them because Christ told us to go and visit them, visit them when they're in jail. Christ didn't come for the well. He didn't come for those who were doing great. He came for those who were sick, who were in need of a hospital. And that's how I view second chances as an opportunity to be that connecting point, whether it's connecting people to recovery, whether it's connecting people to mental health resources, or again, working with them I'm not doing circles of support and accountability. I will do integration circles, which is what the model is based off of, because I believe most of the men that I work with were never part of society to begin with. So that's why it was easy for them to commit their crimes because they felt society had given up on them. So I want to work with them and want to have more men and women come together and understand people deserve to hear that thing, a second chance, because we, we all hear the saying, everyone deserves a second chance. I just want to put some action behind those words. I agree. Amen with that. So if somebody wants to find out more about second chances, where do they go? Well, they can go either to the website, www.secondchances.live, L-I-V-E, or you can also find me on Facebook. I have a Facebook page, Second Chances. You have to search Second Chances CDN, but it again, the, the easiest places go to the website, or you can send an email, Sean, S-H-A-U-N, at secondchances.live, L-I-V-E. Perfect. Okay. So one last thing. What one thing, what one thought would you want to leave our audience with about God? 
that he is who he says he is. He says he's the father. You and I talked about it earlier in the interview. I now know him as a loving, caring, wonderful father. When I lost my dad, I thought he was punishing me for the things I was doing wrong. But I've learned through my years that God loves me and he has this desire to have a relationship with me. And whether or not you have that relationship with him now or can think of him as your Abba father, just please know he is there. He's got his arms wide open. I'm a prodigal. I've come back and he welcomed me with his open arms. And I pray that you who are listening today and you're feeling like you're lost and you're you're alone. I want you to know God loves you. And you don't have to try to fix yourself on your own because he's ready and willing to help you right where you're at. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much, Sean, for being on the show today. And God bless you for the work that you're doing with those individuals who need to know that God loves them as well. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Johnny. Thanks for giving me this opportunity to share. Okay. God bless. Take care. God bless. Sometimes this world so disheartening and trouble and tomorrow I just another mountain today I can't even climb and you feel like crying all your blues away Sometimes Sometimes. you gotta lose it all before you find a way. Now, sometime hard luck and sorrow. Best teacher you ever gonna find Why you learn more in the valleys of my friend on any mountain top in your heartaches they stand like sentinels all around the price you pay. see the light of day but I know you're gonna find there's a way oh yes you will
enjoyed the last half hour as much as I did. Thank you again to Refuge Ministries Canada for hosting the show. So until next Friday, may God richly bless you with peace, love, and happiness. We at Refuge Ministries are so blessed by the success of Refuge Freedom Stories and podcasts. In addition, we focus on youth prison ministry, release kits, and many other diverse outreaches to the needs of our community. As a nonprofit, there are many costs involved, however, and we are asking for your support. Financial gifts can be made via our website at www.refugeministriescanada.com or by calling 519-701-0108. Your giving makes this work possible, and we thank you in advance for your support. That's 519-701-0108. God bless you.